This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Rams Monthly Review Show. Now, anybody that keeps up with the video content will know that we recently did a feature called 21 Questions with Malcolm Christie, where we asked 21 questions. Um, and they're supposed to be really quick fire and supposed to be, you know, the, you just fire through them, ask all the questions, get all the answers, move on. But Malcolm was brilliant and he told loads of stories, gave us loads of insight about his career, about Derby, about behind the scenes, working with Jim Smith, you know, working with players like Carbonari and Paolo Wanshop and some of the stuff he said, uh, we didn't have time to fit into the video episode. So it's only fair that the stuff doesn't remain on my computer for the rest of eternity and instead gets released for everybody to listen to. So yeah, here's the full unedited interview with Malcolm Christie and I really do hope that you enjoy it. So as you can see we're joined by ex-Derby striker Malcolm Christie. Malcolm thank you very much for coming on. Thanks absolute pleasure. Um, thanks for inviting me to come on. I'm more than happy to uh, to share some of my uh, some of my stories with you hopefully um, <laughs> hopefully the questions that you're going to set me are not going to be too taxing I can uh, can provide the answers to most of them. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope so too. So to kick us off, nice and easy one. Favourite Derby County game? Oh, easy. Um, Old Trafford away. Um, Manchester United nil, Derby won. Um, 15th of May 2001. Um, about 3.34 in the afternoon. <laughs> um yeah, you know, my career highlight, really. So, you know, I think if people know a little bit about my story, about my connections as a kid growing up to Manchester United, um, then, and especially how I got into my football career as well, really from nowhere, sort of to achieve that. I mean, there can only be one game when I when I think back of my, my, my highlight, you know, my, my favourite game, my, the highlight of my career and everything, it would be that game, of course. There'd be no question about any other game. It has to be that one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What was the worst ground you ever played at? Uh, ooh, professionally? Are you yes. talking? Yeah, we'll go professional. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I suppose when you say ground, I think you go for an all-round perspective because you kind of think about changing rooms as well. And, and certainly when we went, the Bradford City was rubbish. <laughs> the, the famous game as well with Derby, we, we drew 4-4 against, um, against Bradford. And Craig Burley missed a penalty. To, it would have been a hat-trick of penalties. I think that would be the first time that anyone would have ever done that. So I remember Bradford... For, not being a particularly good stadium, but when we got relegated in 2002, we went to some really, and that, you know, from where we were going, like Anfield, Old Trafford, um, you know, to then suddenly go to these, uh, Gillingham, we went to Gillingham, I think one of the first games of the season. And um, again, you know, they used to play the old tricks. They wouldn't put the heating on before the game or they would turn the heating off before the games. Um so there's, there's a few that, that, that sort of stand out, um, but I, I, would, I would say just as an all-round experience, 
the one that sticks in my head probably more than anyone would be Bradford. Good stuff. And you've mentioned before we started recording uh, about your coaching, but do you plan to go into senior management? I think that's where I would like to end up. Um, I would say that I'm a long way away from that at the moment. Um, you know, the old adage, you, you can't run uh, before you can walk kind of thing. I think that's where I'm at with things at the moment. Um, I'm spending time um, currently around the Middlesbrough Academy just to see how that works and if that is an avenue for me to go. And I think that once I get my ignite my passion back in a professional environment with um, with like-minded people, like-minded coaches, and can, you know, improve myself. You know, I'm doing coaching for myself at the moment, but I think that ultimately the road for me will lead back into the professional environment. And of course, you know, when you're a footballer, what do you want to do? You want to play in the Premier League, don't you? And you want to represent your country and, you know achieve all the things you want to do as you go and, and me my journey in coaching is no different you know I'd love to be um you know a first team coach first team manager you know aspirations to one day maybe managing the Premier League and 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 you know why not have them dreams you know I had them as a kid and achieve them so why not have a second career as such and, uh, and achieve something similar It'd be great if I could mm, definitely who's your best mate in football uh, my best mate in football when I was playing would be Chris Riggett. Um, we went through quite a lot together uh, during our time at Derby. Obviously, we signed on the same day um, from uh, to Middlesbrough and transfer deadline day, January 2003. So, you know, we spent a few years at Derby, a few years together at Middlesbrough, a few years with England as well at under-21 level. Um, and, but football's a funny industry and I, I found that during my playing days that, you know, I, I think there's, there's that sort of opinion from um, people around that suddenly when you're in this almost football environment that you're going to suddenly create all these magnificent friends that are friends for life. But to be honest, it, you know, it's a job like any other. You know, yeah. I don't really keep in touch with anybody when I used to work in the supermarket. You know, I don't keep in touch with there really I've had a few jobs in the motor industry and I don't really you know that's not to say that I'm not someone who you know likes friends or anything like that (laughs) but it's that it's a job that you know you know you might have some you know acquaintances more than friends I would say but there's always people around the clubs that you've been which which you, you, you sort of lean more towards that's probably because you know certainly in my journey you know Chris was with me most of the way, really, up until I left Middlesbrough. He was still there in 2007 when I left. So, um, you know, we, we lost tr- touch a bit. We still connect with each other on social media. And he's now um, living out in Henderson, Nevada now, out in the States. So um, his life leads a, well, to him, leads a different life to us. He, you know, he, he gets up and goes to bed in the sun, you know, whereas <laughs> east side. So... Uh, <laughs> I wake up in the in the rain and go to sleep in the smog. Um, that's about, that's about the difference we've got. Um, but yeah, so that 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 would be my best friend in football whilst I was playing was Chris. Good stuff, and and yeah, I've been living in Darlington for the past year, so I, I completely understand your uh, your pain with that one. Um, you, you've mentioned it already when talking about your favourite derby game. Um, I'd just like you to explain that Man United game when the ball at the back of the net, what was going through your head? I don't know. That's that's a good question because the answer to that is I have no idea because I, I wish I would have been a little bit more controlled with things. And, and you know, sometimes I think before games, you might have, you know, the confidence in your head that today's going to be the day. I'm going to score in this game. I'm going to score. I'm going to score. But I haven't scored for five months leading up to that game. So... And the enormity of the game and going into it and playing against Man U and we're fighting relegation. I don't think in my head, uh, you know, I, I kind of remember that. I never thought on that morning of that game that I would be the hero. You know, I know there was 11 or 12, 13 heroes, you know, subs that come on that day. But, you know, for me to, to score the only goal, I just would never have, I would never have thought. And, and that, you know, when I watched that goal back, um, it was an out-of-body experience. That's the only thing I can sort of 
explain it. I knew what I was doing in the moment in terms of getting the ball, turning, striking the ball. But after that, when it was in the air, like knowing it was in, it was going in after I struck it, I was just running and I have no idea where I was running to. Um, I was running in the direction of the dugouts where Jim, uh, Jim Smith was. Um, and if the lads, Carbonari and Delap never got hold of me, I, I don't know, I would run towards the dugout and did a knee slide or I, I don't, I've no idea what I'd have done. No, I'm glad that they grabbed me, pulled me back. And then it was almost like feeling like I've never been knocked out as in like, you know, when you get like a boxer gets knocked out and then they come round. But it took me a, like a few seconds to actually have that experience of like coming back round again and, and being aware of my surroundings. Because when I was on the floor, like, was. It brought me up, lifted me up. And then all of a sudden I just got my composure back. And then I was like, I could smile, I think, because when I was running off, you can see from the replay of it, I wasn't even smiling. It wasn't like I was happy because I was just out. It was an out-of-body experience. That's all I can describe it as. That's awesome. Everyone has a, a football idol, idol growing up. Who was who was yours? Who was your one idol growing up as a kid? Um, it was Brian Robson was my first footballing hero, really. He was I was a Manchester United fan as a kid. And he was the captain. He was captain of England as well. And I was a big, I was a huge football fan, of course. I supported my country tremendously. I bought all the kits, the United kits, the England kits. And, you know, he was Captain Marvel. And, you know, he was just someone I really looked up to. And I forget the, we went to um, an auction once um, and they had uh, a Brian Robson, Manchester United number seven shirt. Now, I don't know if it was a match-worn one, but I remember seeing it like, and I was a big Superman fan as well. So this was like akin to seeing a Superman Christopher Reeve suit in front of me. This was like my idol. And I remember my dad, I said to my dad, please, can you win? It was like a bidding auction or whatever. And I said, please, can you just bid on it? And I think my dad, it started off at like 20, 35. And my dad started bidding for it. And I remember sitting next to him and I'm thinking, I'm going to I'm gonna take this home with me. And I was just trying it on and saying, and anyway, the bids got up to, I think it was 300 for, this was like quite a lot of money back in the, you know, in the, what would have been probably late 80s at the time. And I cried my eyes out all the way home. And my dad, I don't know what my dad, I'm thinking to myself now, if if I had my son next to me and I was like bidding on something, I'd never get it. I mean, my dad must have felt awful really, but I remember crying my eyes out that that, um, that I didn't manage to uh to get that shirt. So, I mean, my, my past cross with Brian Robson, um, funny enough, on my Middles, uh, sorry, my Derby County debut, you know, playing against Middlesbrough at the Riverside. So that's funny how these kind of things can go full circle. Him being my childhood hero and then me making my full debut and, and scoring two goals against Middlesbrough. You see what I mean? It's like, there's funny things, there's certain mm. things that career that are just kind of, like been a bit weird and like certain things I've just had to sort of get on with and deal with, even though inside I've been bursting with, you know, playing against even that game as well, like playing against Gary Pallister as well. He was like my United hero growing up. Another, you know, I love that, the team, the 95 sort of 96 team that, that, that I sort of really fell in love with as well. So, yeah, so, that was my uh, football idol. So, so, so Brian Robson, and as I say, just I can link it back to my professional career as well. That is quality. Awesome. That is very, very good. And and sort of, I guess, on a on a similar line, who was the best player you ever played alongside with? Now, normally when that question gets asked, people are wanting to hear the biggest name or the you know the most famous footballer and that's the same way you played against as well so um i would say the one i enjoyed professionally playing with more than anyone was georgie kinkladze because he was a player that always looked to pass the ball to me now i know that's like an obvious thing <laughs> Like, I've played with, like, Janino as well. But Janino was a different player. Janino would try and do stuff for himself or he would try and link midfield, whereas King Kladzi would get on the ball and he would constantly look for me and look to play me in. Um, you know, and I look at 
not that I look that often, but when I've looked back at my footballing goals that I scored, he seems to pop up quite a bit. You know, I'd make mm. a little move to the defender and, you know, he, he had an eye for, for finding finding us. And um, and it was an honour and, and, and a privilege, really, to play with him, especially, you know, f- growing up. And, you know, even before I was a footballer, he was, you know, had that incredible season where he got, sort of got relegated, didn't they? Where he, when he, uh, when mm. he did really um but some of the things and then you know the magician of a player that he was um I know Derby fans didn't really see the, the the best side of him because he was on you know probably on the other side of his career but you know he assisted a lot of my goals and I always sort of appreciate that um you know and and you know I suppose Ravenelli goes into that mix in some respects because he was a massive idol for me as well growing up and if what he'd ever he'd achieved as well so um, but I would I would say that he he's he's he was my sort of favourite, you know, teammate in terms of what he helped me achieve, which was what I was put on the pitch to do, which was score goals. Good stuff, and uh, yeah, he's he's one of my dad's favourite players of all time. So yeah, I think uh, his contribution didn't go completely unnoticed. Brilliant. Is there one thing that you change about your career? If you think about one decision, is there one decision that you change? Yeah, wearing shin pads in training—that's that's the the one the one thing that my 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 career um, my career pretty much ended on the day that I broke my leg. Really, when I look back, um, you know, and it's strange and weird how it happened. You know, it it was a tackle in training with Chris Rigger, who was my you know I've, I've said about how you know much he was a part of my journey, and you know. Been around the Middlesbrough training ground this week and just t- taking that time out of my day just to go, just to watch it from afar, the Middlesbrough first team training, because it, it, for a long time, that whole experience of what I went through at Middlesbrough sort of haunted me for a long time, long, long time, years. Um, so I'm glad I'm in a place really now where I can sort of bury a few demons um, with a lot of things. And, you know, if, you know, if anyone's listening to this, you know, you know, don't think that, you know, you can go into, you know, to training and think that it's any lighter than a match, you know, because, you know, say so my life was really never the same after I broke my leg. And if I'd have worn gym pads in training, it wouldn't have happened. It would not have happened. And, you know, that that would be the one thing that, you know, there was a lot of things after that, you know, that, that was the reason why I didn't get back playing football. But that was the start of, the nightmare time for me because Derby fans will remember me. I was never injured really. I pr- pretty much was there available for selection um, pretty much in every game other than a few little niggles and illnesses here and there. But, you know, to have my career decimated by by that one incident where, you know, I look back and, and you know, I, I coach kids now and they'll always wear chin pads in training just off, simply off the back of my advice that, you know, have a look what can happen to you. And, and, you know, it was not only a career that got affected, it was my life and everything really as a, as a result snowballed from that one moment. So, of course, you know, I look at that as a negative, but, you know, in some respects, you know, pe- people, other people can maybe take a look at it as well and just make sure that, you know, if it's their son, daughter or whoever themselves, just make sure it doesn't happen to you because it was just, you know, for what it did to me and my life and my career and everything, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I think I might be taking your advice after that. Um, Cause yeah, that is, that is quite hard hitting to be honest. Um, but I guess I was about to say on a lighter note, but I don't know if it's the lightest uh, question. It was a player that you hated playing against. Um, hated playing against, never did well against Liverpool. Um, and that was probably because he had a centre-half um, called Sammy Hippier. Mm. Um, and whatever it was, I remember going into the first game against, I played Liverpool and Hippier, and I thought, Do you know what? I've got fancy my chances against him because he's don't think he's the quickest. Um, obviously, yeah, he's good in the air, but that wasn't really my game. I could get him behind it. But I'll tell you what, like I couldn't get a kick. He was there, like, it was all over me, like a rash. He's quite physical as well. Um, and he got in the head a little bit. And, like, um, 
And I think it was only one other player that did that, and that was Stam, Yap Stam for Man United. Because I remember like being a fan of Man United, and I'm like, oh my god, like it was a bit scary as a fan, like watching. Then I saw someone on the pitch looking at him, you know. So there was there was there was a couple of occasions where like you sort of players had an effect on you where you kind of hadn't experienced that before. Um, like I say, Yap Stam was one, and, and definitely Sammy Hippier and. and like, after two games, I think I played against him, just like, I don't know, I just didn't perform well against him at all. So, I just, things like that, and and, and, and it, that just sticks in my mind. Yeah, two, two good defenders right there as well. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, can you tell us a, a dressing room story that maybe Derby fans won't know? Obviously, we're not trying to get you in trouble here, but um, a story maybe... That, uh, that happened in a dressing room after a game, before a game, that kind of sticks out in your time at Derby? Uh, well, obviously I've wrote my autobiography, so there's... Um, I've tried to tell as many dressing room stories as I can in there, so I think to myself, well, if a Derby fan's read the autobiography, they'll... they'll <laughs> ...by West preaching story before um Fulham game, which, was, which I'll always remember... Um, I always remember as well, as I didn't mention in the book, Paolo Wanshop. It was just when I was on the fringes of the, uh, the team. I remember Paolo Wanshop and Jim Smith proper going for each other. Like, Jim would be after a game, would tell it how it was. And 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 Wanshop didn't used to like... He could sulk a little bit and he didn't used to like the criticism if he didn't feel it. It was just... But Jim would be like, he didn't care. He, he, he was at him, uh, Jim, as soon as one shot came in. And one shot just, like, I saw the red mist descend. And Carbonari was in there separating it. And there were, Jim was, he was trying to drag it. One shot was throwing. So I can't even remember what the game it was. It was before I was a first team player, but I just remember, whoa, like, geez, is this what, is this the, pa-? but it was passion, you know what I mean? And it was, you know, it showed what it meant to the players, I think, um, you know, to, to perform. And, and, and other than that, there's never really been any sort of, fisticuffs or anything like that other than than that that I've seen there's been the odd disagreement the arguing um but yeah like I said that the, the tree by West one just sticks out for me the, the, when he was preaching to us um, in a huddle before the game brilliant <laughs> oh, I love that I love that um and I guess we, we've already spoken about um your favorite goals what do you think your your best derby goal was <laughs> well, if you, if you take that Man United one out of the equation then, um, at Old Trafford, um, I really enjoyed, there was a game at home, Bradford City again, ironically. We were, it was the start of the season where we just couldn't win. Um, we'd gone, I think it was 13 or 14 games. It was only Newcastle last season that actually broke that hoodoo of amount of games in a season and not to get relegated. Um, they actually broke Derby's record. It was that that season where we were playing at home to Bradford City and we were just desperate for a result. And ironically, it links back to King Cladsey assisting me and I put it in the bottom corner. I remember the relief and like that the crowd felt because we needed a win desperately. Roy Delap ended up scoring a second bit later on um so I really remember that being one of my favorite goals and also um I um, don't this one sticks out for me as well I think it was just an all-round really good performance King Cladsey was like man of the match in the game we played Wimbledon the old Wimbledon the crazy gang at Pride Park and we won 4-0 um and it was just an outstanding team performance and I ended up King Cladsey ended up coming off the pitch with a bit of an injury ball got pumped forward and I just got on the end of it and smashed it in the top corner. That was where I was just, that was my breakthrough season where I was just trying to make my name and and score like, because the Derby fans used to be, as you come out the tunnel, all the singing fans used to be on the far right-hand side as you come out the tunnel. Yeah. And I remember just sort of scoring there and like looking up and the, the crowd like erupted and things and, and just knowing that that feeling of scoring a goal was just like this, Especially at home, I always used to like scoring at home. Away was good, um, but it always felt so much better scoring a goal at Pride Park 
probably because we had a night out planned that night, so <laughs> which we tended to do. So if it's a Saturday game, it was a Saturday night out, and if you scored, it was even better. Just you have a wicked, wicked day. Had some, had some unbelievable weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Have you got any football superstitions, kind of pre-game? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I've, I've just, I've just done whatever I felt I wanted to do or needed to do off the cuff. I've never, and to be honest, I've never really seen anything with my own. I know, I know that there have been players that have said about superstitions and things like that, and they've got to put the right boot on or the left sock on or whatever. But I've never been around anyone that's, you know, that you've, I've noticed anything either. So. No, there, there wasn't, and even coming out in the tunnel, I know some players like to come out in a certain position out in the tunnel. I just like, I was just happy being a footballer and playing. Do you know what I mean? I was just living my dreams. <laughs> you know, whatever I needed to do, whether I needed to be first out, last out. I used to enjoy just going out in the tunnel and just looking across and just seeing who we were playing against. And just, you know, as a, as a massive football fan growing up, for me to be in the tunnel, you know, whether it's against Man U, Arsenal, or, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool. For me to line up in a tunnel, I used, to, I used to love the fact that I'm going to be out in the tunnel soon. I'll be standing next to these players. I know this sounds a little bit fanboy, and I was a footballer myself, but honestly, I, I did, and, and things like that will always stick with me. I couldn't wait to get out of the, 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 you know, to be in the tunnel and, and, and coming out with with some players that that were not to be heroes to me, but they were just well known footballers. I was just happy to share the same pitch with them, you know. <laughs> That is incredible, though. I mean, I, I can't imagine what what it must be like. You know, like you've you've mentioned players like Hippier and Stam and stuff like that. To to walk out with those players next to you must be must be amazing. Um, but I guess kind of maybe on similar lines. So I remember when Jamie Vardy signed for Leicester uh, for big money, and there was a, an obvious comparison, which of course was you. Um, you were kind of, I guess, the first big non-league to Premier League signing to really hit the ground running. How did that come about? Um, unbelievably quickly, probably too quickly in some respect, the way that I had to kind of just do it on the job, really, and not have, you know, I'm a, I've been around academies this week and, and you don't understand everything that's given to a player nowadays to, you know, training grounds, the coaching, everything strength and conditioning, psychology. There's so much that goes into the mould of making a footballer. Whereas, you know, all I knew was where to put the milk on the dairy aisle in the field supermarket. That's pretty much all I knew. I went to college too. So I knew, you know, travel and tourism. So we were doing, you know, I remember doing a, an essay on Madame Two Swords once uh, or, you know, I did an RA level and uh, I drew a load of stuff on a table once with, you know, where you shaded one side of it and then, you know, it gradually got a bit lighter. You know, we, I, didn't, I knew about that, but being a footballer, hell did I not know what that was all about. Um, so it was, it, was, uh, it was a bit of a rude awakening to go from the March 1998, where I was still working at the supermarket and I was still turning out for my brother's Sunday league team, which he used to work at a fruit and veg company. So they had a Sunday team. So March 98, I was still playing semi I was signed to Neaton Borough semi pro playing Sunday league football for my brother's fruit and veg working at the supermarket and then in the October 1998 so 6 months later I was signed in to the Premier League with Derby County I mean I know we talked some comparable there for stories I mean my story in some respects stands alone there's been no other player that's ever gone from non league football to the to making their professional debut in the Premier League without ever joining an academy. And it will never, ever be done again. Mm. It, the, the, that, that, that stat will never, ever be done again. Certainly That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is an amazing story. Um, obviously, we've seen some new faces in at, at Derby this season. Yeah. Um, have you got a current favourite? Have you, have you thought someone started the season quite well? Um, I like the look of... Um, the lad from Villa, is it, um, what's his name, Connor? Hurran. Sorry, I should know that. Um, <laughs> I, him, I think that, you know, when you look at, um, you know, the level of player that Derby are going to come up against, I think he offers some real quality. Um, I like Curtis Davis at the back. I know the supporters do as well. 
Um, so I think for, for Derby season this season, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that we've got a Derby. Do you know what I mean? I, you know, I, I hear and see a lot of stuff. You know, I follow quite a lot of fan groups and, and things on social media. And, you know, after every, you know, there's a little bit of discontent here and there. And I just always think that, you know, I'm just happy that there's a club there. Do you know what I mean? And and yes, we want to be, I say we, I, I still talk as if I'm of them in Derby. <laughs> but I, I still hold massive, you know, in, in my heart. You know, it's the club that gave me the platform to, to sort of live my dream out. So I'll always be grateful for that. But I, I just think that, you know, I don't want this season for Derby fans to be a consolidation season of sort of, you know, finishing around mid-table and everybody almost be content with that. Look, they, sh- they should be going for the promotion. Of course they should, you know. Um, it's a little bit hitty-missy at the moment with, with the way that they've started. But, you know, if, if you know, the, the manager can get things going, I'd... I, you know, I, I would like to think that, that they can mount a promotion charge this season. I think it's out of the question. Um, I think they'll be there or thereabouts. It's just whether they can they can sustain a good, you know, length of, of run of performances. Yeah, I think every Derby fan will be uh, hoping the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spoke before about um, your transfer to Derby. Obviously, it came about so quickly. Um, how did you deal with the pressure of playing in the Premier League? I just was, to, honestly, just day by day, really. I know that's a bit of a cliche. I just, I didn't really know how to, to carry myself, how to act, what to wear, what to look like, what to say. You know, it, it, honestly, it was, it was just a learning on the job experience. And I, I don't think that initially affected me because... I was almost living in, it was just the acceptance that I was doing what I'd always wanted to do and dreamt of doing, that I could never really look back and ever reflect on where I'd come from, which was relative obscurity and nothing. And it's only, I think, after the dust settled of me leaving Derby and I had to sort of rediscover myself as a footballer somewhere else, because I'd gone into Derby and that was my like comfort blanket in the respect of I'd learned how to be a footballer there suddenly to go out of that, leave that comfort blanket behind and, and, and find another club uh, in Middlesbrough and and to have to do it all again, move house, new teammates. It's only then where I felt that, that maybe a lot of the pressures where I hadn't really wanted them to surface at Derby, I'd sort of lied, lied them dormant in some respects, came to the fore when I joined Middlesbrough. Um, and... You know, I think there was maybe some insecurity then come out. Was I good enough? Could I still do this? I'm around top international players now. You know, Janino, uh, you know, was there. Mendieta, Zenden, Southgate. You know, we had an incredible team, an incredibly successful team as well. So I think there was a few doubts setting in my mind. And obviously, you, you, you put that into the pot with my injuries. Um, I think I just... That just sort of affected me more than more than I would. I, I can't like I say I really enjoyed. There was there was parts of of being a footballer that when you're growing up, you, you know, you dream of you know going out, getting recognised, famous, signing autographs, having a sticker of yourself or a bobblehead or whatever. You know, there was all them little things as a kid, which which footballers of today probably are not really bothered about or not. But for me. Like, I loved all that. Like, and, you know, I was just, you know, me and my dad were just lapping everything up that, you know, uh, newspaper clippings. I mean, we were used to be, like, we were used to be in, in the Peterborough Evening Telegraph. And I used to cut out the clippings from a youth team games when it had, you know, when it had the results and it had your name and you scored. I was quite happy having that. Then all of a sudden, I'm on the back pages of, like, newspapers if I've got, you know, a performance or man of the match. So it was all, like... I'd sort of wanted everything that I'd wanted was suddenly there presented in front of me, but never really having that, I don't know, that time for, for people or sit down with even like a psychologist and go, wow, this must be a bit different for you, isn't it? Well, how is this? How is that? Because back in them days, it wasn't the mental side of the game. Didn't really, if someone was, was having mental problems or something, they, they would have said that you'd pulled a muscle or something back in the day, because they wouldn't have wanted to admit that. I remember there was, I think it was Sol Campbell, when I was 
like younger footballer growing up, he, he had some issues and, and everyone thought, well, hang on a minute, what's he on about? He's a footballer, he's earning loads of money and he's got a really good job and like, how can he be somewhat wrong with it? You know, and there's that kind of like stigma attached with that side of things and, and I think that's why people, certainly in my era of football, everything I think lied dormant and things and now, you know, now my career's long gone. You know, I can suddenly, not open up, but I can look back and think, you know, things weren't quite right at them stages of my career and I could have done with some help. But I suppose in them days, if you didn't ask for it, you know, you didn't get it. Whereas now I'm going into academies, there's all these people around, you know, they have regular review, you know, monthly reviews, weekly reviews. So everything's catered for both on and off the pitch, emotionally, physically, to make sure that you are all right on a daily basis. And we never had that. Mm. We've talked about players that you found it difficult to play against. Is there a certain defender that you thought when you lined up against him that you thought, yeah, I'm going to have a, a field day today or I just know how to play against him? Um, not really, because I, I, I kind of respected everyone that I played at. I, I, I wasn't that sort of guy that, like, you know, would go into a game, you know, disrespecting someone. And, and you know, I never, I never had crosswords with any like opposition or even my own teammates. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a relatively chill out guy, really. And um, I just, just wanted to perform whoever it was, you know, the best of my abilities. And and I probably, you know, I, I would say I raised my game in some respects when I played against Man U because I just wanted so desperately to play for Man U. That was always my, my dream and my ambition to do that. Um, obviously, I encountered the next best thing, but I would say... You know, I I would I would raise my game. You know, probably again. You know, even when the TV cameras were there, let's put you know stuff things that people probably who aren't footballers would think, well, well, what's he on about? But that, honestly, if the Sky cameras were there or it was anything like that, I was all over that. Do you know what I mean? Knowing we're on live TV because I'd watched so much, so many games live and things. I always used to think. You know, I'd love to do that. I'd love to play a game live where people could watch me. And it's just, you know, so I was living out a lot of, you know, refer back to that, a lot of stuff that growing up as a kid, you know, that I was able to do as a as, a, as an adult, which was amazing. Yeah, that does sound amazing. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm very jealous. <laughs> you got to do that. It's 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 quality, um, especially in the way that you did it as well. Um we spoke before and you, you spoke really well there uh, beforehand about mental health and, and how important it is. And I guess that kind of ties into my question a little bit. Um, it's a bit of a, a, a harder hitting question. Um, did you regret leaving Derby for Borough? I think the, the, the timing of it, the timing of it, I regret um, because I should have, I should really have pushed for a move or it, it should have happened the summer before. Um you know, there was reasons why that didn't happen, but um, my head was turned. I'd spoke to Middlesbrough. They put a bid in for me, didn't materialise for one reason or another. Um, and I think that when I finally left, like, because I didn't move the previous summer and there was a few, the doubts were creeping in my mind because I wasn't smashing the championship up as I probably would have wanted to. The club wasn't either. So I think... You know, from me being in that mindset of, right, I've been relegated from Derby there. I'm one of their bigger assets and one of their bigger names. Someone's bid at the time, it was, it was six or seven million pounds, Middlesbrough. And I was just maybe just got a little bit ahead of myself and thinking, you know, that move should have happened. You know, I wasn't a massively highly paid player at Derby, be honest. You know, I wasn't. Um, so when I look back in my times, I think, well, hang on a minute, you've, you're not paying me really anywhere near the level of other Premier League players. I know we've been rele relegated at the time, but you've turned down a bit of seven million, so you must you must rate me some in some way. So maybe you know the naivety of me, maybe should have gone in there. So right, if you've rejected a bid, let's have a look at renegotiating the contract, and then maybe. But I suppose timing wise, with the, with the club getting relegated, there's just a lot. There's a lot of stuff going along at the time, and 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 I suppose. Timing-wise, like I say, I was ready for a fresh challenge, I think, by at that point. I've been at Derby five years, although when I look back, I'd only really had two and a half seasons of me 
really being in, in and around the first team. So, you know, even though I say I was ready to leave, I look back at my career and think I would have loved to have stayed and, and like, and, you know, because I had so many good times. I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but my Middlesbrough career turned out to be a disaster. So um, it was the right move for me. Um, the club, Middlesbrough, were going places at the time. It was a, Steve McLaren was a manager, building a successful team, which he did. I wanted to go there and win a trophy, which they did, and I didn't obviously play much part of that. Um, and I wanted to represent England at full international level. So and that, was a, that was the club that I could have done it at. So I had all these, you know, I suppose the ambitions that I had, I, f- I fulfilled most of them with Derby, really. And it was just, there was one or two th- more things that, that I wanted to do, which was, like I say, win a trophy and play for England, which I didn't really accomplish in my time at Middlesbrough. And being around the club when they did that, i.e. be successful, was incredibly hard as well. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. We've obviously talked about you you coaching at the moment. What one piece of advice would you say is the most important to those that you're coaching? Honestly, listen, listen simple advice, listen to the coach. You know, even me going in and experiencing academy football, uh, the very minor stage that I have at the moment, um, some players think they know more than the coach. Now, if they do, then they ain't going to make it as a footballer. Yeah, the coach is there to progress them, to bring them on. Um, yes, you get some good coaches and some bad coaches. I'd like to think that the way I deliver, you know, I would try and help a player in every way, shape or form, whether it be on the pitch and off the pitch, especially with some of the things and experiences that I've been through myself. But I, I would just say, trust the coach and listen to the coach. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it's him that's going to pick the team or he's going to devise the training session. He's going to say how long, if you're going to do some running, that you're going to run for. So, you know, listen to the coach and respect the coach as well. I Good like advice. it. I like it. So you spoke about it there, about, um, you know, regarding England internationally, but you did play at international youth levels for England. What was that like? I mean, it must have been some experience. Yeah, of course. Like, just daft things like seeing your name and number on the back of an England shirt, um, going before um, games or tournaments and, and getting, like, gift bags. And you know, Paul Smith was England's, like, kit sponsor, like, suit sponsor. So Paul Smith wallet, belt, shoes, suit, bags, wash bags sunglasses like it was just like I can't believe it was this well this is mine it was like yeah <laughs> is, there, is there a price list oh no it's, it's, it's your no it's your security oh right oh brilliant you know and even even the England experience you know after the game you got to keep all your kits and you know long sleeve short sleeve shorts track suits socks you know everything so you know there's a vast amount of stuff that my mum's that I've kept and and things. So there was all that sort of experience, and obviously that you know, singing the national anthem and things like that as a kid. You know, I've talked about you know things that you you, you know you, you you do as a kid and that you dream of doing as an adult. And again, that was that was one of my things. And and I, look, look, I played with some wonderful players in the England under twenty ones. I mean, I, you know, I can reel off Paul Robinson in goal, Luke Young, Ledley King, John Terry, Ashley Cole, uh, Michael Carrick, Joe Cole. Uh, Peter Crouch, Jermaine Defoe, um, Shola Amiobi, you know, Alan Smith from Lee. You know, the, you know, I, I was blessed. And I, I was around as well in 2000. They, Howard Wilkinson called me up to be like the 21st man for the tournament in Slovakia in the 2000s. And that was the, you know, Frank Lampard, uh, Jamie Carragher, um, Danny Murphy, you know, that... You know that was that era of, of the team as well. So I, I I was blessed with you know being around and saw how players carried themselves, how they trained. Um, yeah, and that's that. You know, that's incredible when I look back because a lot of them players, well, probably all of them players that I've mentioned, went on to how either have successful Premier League longevity careers or represented their country at full international level. Which you know, unfortunately, I didn't. 
managed to achieve due to my injuries. So, you know, you know, my, my England experience was always brilliant, but also tinged with a little bit of 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 sadness because the England experience cost me my move to Middlesbrough because the tournament in 2002, when I'd never played, um, I was substitute the whole tournament. Massimo Macaroni was the top scorer and standout player in the tournament for Italy. And that got his, he, he got my move to Middlesbrough instead of me. So that's, you know, I suppose there's fond moments. And there's also them darker moments when I look back at my career and things that, you know, had I had I gone on that tournament in two thousand and two and played and scored, I would have I would have, you know, sort Derby fans want to hear that, but I would have I would have one hundred percent have left in that in that summer and gone into Middlesbrough as the record the club record signing as well. So, you know, brilliant. <laughs> We've discussed Jim Smith, the the legend that is Jim Smith. Um, if you could describe him in three words, what would they what would they be? Ooh. I'm sure you can describe me a lot more words yeah. than three, but <laughs> three words: old school and angry. <laughs> All angry. Awesome. He was exactly as most fans would have imagined him to be, and he was no different. He was the he was exactly the guy that I thought he would be. He was exactly that. He was straight. He told you how it was. He was a bit harsh at times, but, you know, there was a few times he sent me off the training pitch once. Um, and I was like, I was absolutely devastated about it. But, and, and, but he knew doing that. I, I ended up going through on goal one-on-one. -on -one. I tried to chip it over the goal. I tried to be a bit clever when we finished. He wanted me to get the ball down and slot it past him. I tried to lob the keeper and he's like, what are you doing? Right, get in. But, he, he was trying to do it for the right reasons as well, because he, he knew that what pushed my buttons, which was he knew I I would have a reaction from that. And I respected him. I never had any cross words with him. I would never argue back with him. Few, very few players would. Um, and he used to... The only problem with Jim, though, the, the training used to go from, like, really good when he wasn't there to really bad when he was there because everyone was scared. I know Brian Clough was similar to that. You know, you've probably seen stuff, you know, if you've watched anything of Brian Clough, he would hammer people on the side. And, and honestly, Jim would be like that. He was from the same mould as that. Uh, and some players hated that. Hated that. And I, sometimes I'd have my back to, back to Jim coming out and I'd be like, why is the training suddenly gone down? And you'd look around and you'd think, oh, there you go. There's a reason. <laughs> You'd be asking the coach, how long's left of the session? How long's left? Just wanted to go in. You didn't want to be out though. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's class. That is that is funny. Um, Malcolm, thank you very much for joining us. We've got one more question. Uh, and you've mentioned about it already, and that's your book. Um, tell us all about it. Yeah, um, I was approached well, about 18 months ago now to it's <laughs> It's not. It's not something. You know, my my career finished in two thousand and nine. So normally autobiographies are done pretty much straight after your football career. But if anyone's, you know, have or haven't read the book, my life take a massive turn away from football for a number of years. So I think the good part of my story is the rediscovery of the love and how I rediscovered that love of football, which the book describes. But also start talks in length like I've touched on in this interview of my journey into football. It, it was never really, I was never really supposed to be a footballer in all fairness. I was at the right place at the right time and got incredibly lucky. Yes, I had a bit of talent, you know, but I had people, you know, who identified talent and, and, you know, it just, I was on a whirlwind and just got swept away. Um, and it goes on about how I dealt with the fame as we've touched on there, how I dealt with some mental health issues during my football career, after my football career, finding a career after football, um, you know, and it also talks about, you know, not just my football side of things off the pitch, um, you know, dealing with with family issues, um, marriages, kids, you know, so it's just an all round, you know, almost a full circle, really, you know, from where I started from six years old, that boy who first kicked a ball on the 
you know, the PE field of St George's School in Stamford, you know, rediscovering my love of football through my own children um, at the same age. So it's weird how that, that kind of happened. Um, and it's and it's nice to be able to pen it down. And I think as, you know, my co-author, you know, said as, you know, I think when he contacted me and he, he brought me this idea, I don't think he realised that it would, this would be, sound a bit corny, but like it would be as good, the story was as good as it was really. Because, you know, you could contact any ex-footballer, couldn't you, and go, oh, you know, should we do your, um, should we do your autobiography and stuff? And, you know, yes, you'll have a story and everyone's got a story, haven't they? But I think he was quite amazed with, with with a lot of stuff that that we ended up discussing and uh, and putting into black and white in the book. So yeah, so the the reality of the dream, which is which charts my rise from from non league to the Premier League, um, came out on June the 29th. So available from all good retailers. And uh, yeah, um, obviously, if you haven't haven't bought it, you know, maybe speak to somebody that has and see whether they think it's any good. And if it is. Either ask them to borrow it. Obviously, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, <laughs> most, most, most of the books, uh, if you buy it through the publisher, which is Morgan Lawrence, my publisher, they're all they're all signed copies as well. So, uh, um, so I've done all them. And if anyone wants to, um, you know, get anything personally signed, um, I will be um, having an event at Pride Park Stadium in October. Um, where I'll do a live Q&A about my career, um, whether you've bought the book or whether you haven't bought the book. Um, I think that'll be a nice time for me to go back to Pride Park and uh, meet, see a lot of the fans that, that remember me as a player um, and uh, just connect with them in that way as well. So so anyone who's interested in that, just check out my social pages and um, I'll put all the details out about as soon as I've got all that confirmed. Great stuff, Malcolm. You, uh, you heard the man. Get yourself the book, get yourself down in October. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure too. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate Cheers, it. Cheers, welcome. Thanks. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.